Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Angie Mazzetti. Well, in this episode, we talk with Dr. Michelle D. Cullen, a Managing Director and Head of Inclusion and Diversity at Accenture in Ireland. Michelle has been on my radar for a few years as she's a fearless campaigner for gender equality in business and in society and for diversity and inclusion in all its rainbow colours. Michelle believes in diversity and inclusion not only because it's the right thing to do, but she knows it makes good business sense for companies who want to recruit the best. Diverse teams are, are more innovative. They they challenge each other more um, and as a result they come up with better solutions because they're testing ideas from uh, more varied perspectives so really the, the, the driver is also talent. Michelle has some terrific advice for women when it comes to focusing on their personal finances over the course of their lifetime that's in our new purse strings section but she says that there's also a need to look at the gender pay gap in the pensions at public policy level where women are at a huge disadvantage because because of the caring responsibilities that more often than not default to women. Workers over 50, women are five times more likely than men to leave work to care for others. Um, I think the OECD found that 75% of all unpaid work is done by women. Um, and of course, when it comes to retirement, women often face a, a pensions gender gap as well. In these strange COVID-19 times, the workplace as we know it has changed beyond recognition with people working from home, missing structures that support their daily lives and getting used to the strains that this new environment is putting on them. Genuine listening by leaders is something firms need to do to assist people, Michelle believes. Employers often feel that employees will feel safe to raise a concern about their mental health, but actually fewer employees actually share that view. So I think it's 85% of leaders think employees would feel safe to raise a mental health concern, but only 60% of employees share that view. Um, So there does need to be a focus on mental health. There does need to be a focus on listening and and genuinely listening without the answer in mind to, to try and build solutions. Michelle also talks about the marriage equality referendum and making space for different people's stories and lived experience in the workplace. You know, it's, it's amazing to think it's five years since the marriage equality vote and you know I, I, I know many of us remember how that day felt just the sheer joy in the country of you know standing up for love wins that this is what uh, that this is who we are today and um, but you know I don't think we can ever take for granted that um, that that progress is Uh, one way I think we we do need to sustain that and we do need to state what we stand for and what matters. She also shares her top five pearls of wisdom as well as a nugget of financial advice that I and many others like me wished we'd known early on in our careers but you're going to have to wait for that. I began by asking Michelle about her enthusiasm for anything to do with diversity and inclusion. So lovely to have you on the podcast on the Women in Leadership podcast. Michelle you're very welcome. Thank you, Angie. Lovely to be here. Passionate about the power of diversity to drive innovation. This is what the Accenture literature says about you. And we also know from your leadership behind initiatives like Women on Walls and your activity on Twitter and social media, which you're very busy on, um, that this is really important to you. Where does this drive come from? What initiated all this with you? Well, Angie, I've worked in technology for over 25 years. Um, I was a postgrad student when Ireland elected our first woman president. 
Uh, and I can still remember that feeling when I heard the President of Ireland addressing the whole nation and calling out for the first time in history the women of Ireland, not as other, but as self. Um, and at that time, I just took it that we were in such a period of change, gender equality was a given. Uh, in fact, everything I saw around me bore that out. You know, as I joined the workforce, more women joined the Irish workforce in five years than in the previous 20 combined. Uh, over a 10 year period, the number of working mothers doubled and indeed I became one. And when you think about it, all of their children are now of working age, but 30 years on, we're really not where I would have expected we would be. And I guess I've reflected that uh, progress is hard one and it, it can be reversed. And, you know, I still see that when it comes to making the decisions that most affect our world, women's voices aren't heard equally and, and sometimes they're just not heard at all. Uh, and I just feel that has to change. It's time. And that, that's not just a loss for women, but for society as a whole, perhaps we're seeing that now more than ever. I think you're absolutely right. And that, that business of sustaining women, you know, these battles, as you say, are hard won, but sustaining them is really difficult. So, you know, what can business do? What can companies like yours do to help sustain, you know, the, the engagement of women in the workplace? Because sometimes it can be bloody hard. And I know from, from anecdotes from women I talk to on the podcast that it takes so much effort sometimes, or they get to their mid thirties and they've sailed so far and then they just get what I call the mid career bypass. The lads just take off and they stay where they are or they're mummy tracked if they decide to have children. You know, how, what can we do? What can we do to sustain the level and help women to climb the career ladder? That's funny. We often, um, we reflect on this as, you know, leadership sponsorship is definitely essential and it's a starting point for uh, equality and inclusion, but it really is only the start of it. I think it's important that you have leaders at all levels in the organization who are advocating for diversity and who are building inclusion in, in ways that are both big and small. You know, the, the truth is as your life changes, your own perspective changes as well. So it's very important to, you know, to address those blind spots, to make sure that you're hearing from different people in the organization at different levels, at different stages of their career about what what the challenges are and that you set up a culture where those conversations can happen in the first place and that you're enabling people to take action and, and address issues as they arise for, for people of all genders. But it's not every company that does provide that sort of culture where voices can be heard, is it? I mean, I think it's becoming more widespread and I, I do feel that, um, you know, the, the conversation in Ireland as a whole and, and in society outside of Ireland as well has, uh, has changed and has improved a lot. Yeah. I think one of the key places where there is a lot of conversation is during International Women's Day or almost International Women's Week now because the, the calendar gets so full. Um, and I think Accenture's own event at the, uh, during International when you take over the convention centre very early in the morning and yet you pack the place out, that's become a key talking point as well. Is that something you're very proud of? It is. I mean, it's it's funny to think that, you know, this year's event was on the, the 5th of March and, you know, it's hard to believe that it's so recent and yet uh, the world has has changed so much. Um, you know, it's it's been a great event for us, for learning, for listening, for hearing diverse perspectives. Um, and it, it's definitely been a critical part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, did th we knew the pandemic was coming, maybe not quite as uh, rapidly as, as it was on the 5th of March this year. Did it affect the numbers who attended? 
Uh, it's funny, we were, we were obviously tracking government and expert advice right up until the day of the event. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had put plans in place to be able to go virtual, you know, to present the full event on stage, but to an empty auditorium and, and live stream it instead. Um, I have to say the team at Accenture were amazing, uh, both the, the marketing team and all of the, the volunteers and the guests were, were so supportive of that. Um, all of the, the people on stage were, were very happy to do that if, if it came to it. But in the end, we were able to... Um, present the show live and live stream it. Uh, And we were delighted to see a packed house on the day uh, combined with the live streaming we actually had a record attendance overall. So so that was great. And I have to say, I'm very glad we were able to do it uh, this year, perhaps more than ever. Um, you know, we've had really strong feedback on it, but also, as you know, on the day we talk about, we talked about that being sort of a time capsule of where we are now and how do we mm. change the conversation going forward. But little did we know how life was going to change only Absolutely. within days. Yeah. And we'll come to some of the key speakers that you had now in a while because you had some amazing people. But I just want to spool back a little bit. Um, you started this in 2004. So you were really in Accenture, really ahead of the curve on, or ahead of the posse when it came to gender equality and diversity and inclusion. Why did Accenture as a company, even back then, you know, like decide that this was an important issue for business um, as well as for society? Well, I mean, fundamentally, I suppose it's a talent issue. You know, we can't have the best people and the best solutions if you're ruling out half the population. We've we've always really hired uh, quite diverse backgrounds and, um, and and sought to bring different viewpoints together because this is really also about diversity of ideas to come up with the best solutions for our clients. And, you know, we see this every day. Diverse teams are, are more innovative. They they challenge each other more um, and as a result they come up with better solutions because they're testing ideas from uh, more varied perspectives so really the, the the driver is also talent this to get the best people you have to be looking um diversity and to to enable everybody to thrive means creating that kind of culture of inclusion yeah um each year you take a different theme for the event um your theme this year was is the landscape changing when it comes to gender equality and diverse inclusion what did you discover is the landscape changing I think it is. I mean, I think the theme helps us to, I suppose, shape the research and the content, but it is really a, a starting point for the conversation. Um, we, we tend to build on previous year's studies to try and, uh, you know, really have some in-depth uh, research coming into the event. But we, on stage, we really seek to have diversity in a very broad sense, to have the conversation be richer. So, yes, the landscape is important. No organisation is operating in a vacuum. Um, but for us, having on the day, having artists, sports people, academics, and musicians as well as as business people uh, having representation from people at different stages of life at all ages from different backgrounds it just makes the conversation richer and, and we learn so much from that yeah i think the even the fact that you said ages there makes a huge difference and if, if this covid epidemic has taught us one thing is that we need to regard older people with a bit more respect and treat them as as real people rather than bed blockers or statistics you also talked about the equality progress gap. What did you mean by that in your well, survey? I think, yeah, I think the survey looks more generally at um, how, how equality is changing, but also how attitudes and, and views of equality are changing. I suppose, you know, on reflection, you know, we, we, we've done this over many years. And if you look back over the, the journey that a lot of inclusion and diversity initiatives take, um, it's not necessarily sequential, but I think in, in a lot of cases, the, the change in meaning and themes of International Day, International Women's Day have been interesting. So as we reflected on it, I think a lot of the early stages of diversity initiatives, you know, could be called a little bit fine to the women. So, you know, mm-hmm. women were encouraged 
step up, to lean in, to lead. You know, they were told there were no barriers and maybe some exceptional women were held out as examples for other women to follow. Um, and while that was a good starter, uh, it, that phase didn't really do a lot to challenge the underlying inequality. And I think IWD provides a moment to, yes, to celebrate wins, but also to reflect on that. And in the early days, for me, it was often by and for women. You know, there might be a few brave men in the audience, um, but it was it was primarily a, a women's network and, and gathering. And I think probably, you know, the next stage was critical, but but they might also look back and go, that was sort of a fix the women. You know, it was often well-intentioned, yeah. but women were offered kind of confidence training, you know, encouraged to, you know, to lead, to be, you might say, more like the men. Uh, and I think that phase also sometimes led to some good policy and process changes, but it could be uncomfortable for many of us, and it could lead to generalizations uh, based on gender. So I do feel that over time, the conversation has evolved. Uh, the problem is now more reframed to look at the structural inequality and bias that exists. Um, and that really has been a fundamental shift in how we provoke change and, and to use your, your terminology, to sustain that change as well. Mm. I mean, in our I think that phase probably led to things like women on walls, you know, that began in response to the question, where are the women? And when you start to notice that and acknowledge that visibility and role models really matter. Yeah, I think one of those things you said that's structural, instead of changing the women, change the structures. But those structures are deeply embedded. So how do you go about changing them? something that's so deeply ingrained? They are. And they're, you know, they don't, those structures don't just affect men. They, we also internalize them as, mm. as women. So um, I do think that it's, as you've said, it's uh, it's a very comprehensive change and um, being alert to uh, the, the perhaps unconscious or unintended bias that might exist. And that takes conversations that can be challenging and can be difficult as well. In regards to the conversations and, and also another thing you mentioned there, women's voices or people being, you know, confident enough to use their voices. I know from my own experience and from anecdotal and from what I've heard from women on the podcast that actually speaking up, they seem themselves sometimes to, to regard this as uh, very difficult and they'd rather walk away from a really good job than speak up and call things out. How do we empower women to use their voices? I mean, you see it even on Twitter and social media when a woman does use her voice, the slap back that, uh, you know, that she gets is is very disproportionate to what a man would get how do we empower women to to use their voices i mean that's one of the reasons why i started the podcast but really the, the fundamental question is how do we empower women to use their voices and to speak up even when it's tough and, and that is a great question i mean and, and you're right, sometimes the, the pushback can be huge. But I also think women can, um, social media, et cetera, can be a great way to amplify women's voices. And, and new media gives access to people who maybe traditionally are less represented. Um, so, you know, the, the first comment you made about sometimes women would rather walk away from the situation than raise their voice. What a loss. What a loss to everybody. And, and what, a, what a missed opportunity for society, not just, of course, also for that woman. Um, so I do think you know, in an organization, you can consciously and intentionally have people amplify one another, look out for one another. You can have sponsorship and mentorship. Um, you can have the sort of networks where people can find support to be able to use their voice and, and, and let everybody know that you'll have their back when they do raise their, their voice, even if it is bringing up an issue that's challenging. 
I suppose that comes back to culture and having a culture where, you know, the organization will have your back. I just want to go back to your survey as well. One of the things when I was re- reading through some of the results, it mentioned the word feel a few times, uh, which I thought was really interesting. How often do you see the word feel in a, in a research piece? Um, you know, the way that perceptions of workers and employers differed so much, I found remarkable, but I suppose in some ways not surprising. Is this what we mean by culture? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, you know, the research, it is hard data, of course, 30,000 professionals interviewed, um, wow. uh, you know, 1700 senior executives, 28 countries. So a lot of um, a, a lot of perspectives brought to this. But, you know, the reality is workplace equality has been discussed in the media and in business circles for years. But despite growing awareness, we're finding that progress just isn't fast enough, as, as you and I spoke about uh, at the beginning. And, and over the last three years, um, the research has been asking employees the same nine culture-related questions to help us to build an understanding of perceptions of how leaders are uh, building an inclusive culture. And, you know, those questions would be things like, does your organization state its gender pay gap goals? Or um, is your organization committed to progressing and retaining and hiring women? And we use that to create a scorecard to gauge employee perceptions. Are they going up or are they going down? But what's been really interesting is that over the three years, those perceptions have remained essentially the same. The scores are are roughly 55 to 53 out of 100, so so not changing significantly, although expectations are increasing. Um, And we did find that, you know, leaders tend to say that a culture of equality is important. And in fact, they think their organizations are doing well, but employees might feel very differently. In fact, the proportion of employees who don't feel included in their organization is 10 times higher than leaders think it is. So that feel is very important. It is huge. On culture, one of the the startling facts I found that was despite recognising the importance of culture, leaders consistently rank it as a lower priority within their organisation, with 28% of leaders in the survey identified culture as a top priority. That's not great, is it? How do we get leaders to start thinking about it as, you know, and does it start at the top? Does it have to start at the top? I think it has to be amplified at the top, but, you know, I think you need, we, we use the term culture makers, so at a different level okay. in the organisation, people who understand the value of an inclusive culture and who are doing what it takes to lead and to drive that change. Um, so, you know, leaders who, who value building the culture, they, they communicate very clearly that an inclusive culture is an organisational priority, but also that it's a personal priority. Um, they're, they're out in front of these issues, they're communicating about it, and they recognise their people when they build an inclusive culture. So, you know, I think that culture makers, yes, you need support at the top, but you also need people at different areas in the, in the organisation who care about this and who will bring issues to the fore. Does your research say, or I believe it's been written internationally, that when a company does respect culture and does give people the freedom to use their voice, that they actually end up making more money long term? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, you know, there's been a lot of research about this, but even on a, again, on a feeling level, on some level, we all know this, you perform at your best when your ideas are valued, you perform at your best when you can be yourself, when you're able to bring, um, you know, truthful debate, when you're able to speak what, what you're seeing. Um, it In cultures where a, a culture of equality exists, the inability, sorry, the ability and the willingness to innovate is six times higher than in those companies where it is less prevalent. That's an amazing statistic, isn't it? When you can consider how important innovation is now. I think um, just to move to your IWD event, one of the speakers that you had on the day was Brian McCraw, 
who's president of DCU, and he talked about that lived experience in his college and conveying welcome no matter who you are. Is that an important message to send out to employees, that they, they don't need to hide their true selves, whether it's their gender, their age, um, you know, their LGTB, whatever. Um, let's, let's have a quick listen to it. You want people to feel that they can be themselves completely, and we say this to students every year, whatever person you are, you should feel comfortable uh, expressing that and not hiding it, and there's been obviously too much hidden in so many aspects of Irish society over the years. So there's that feeling of welcome and inclusion and acceptance. And that has to be the lived experience, but I think physical symbols matter as well. Um, now, we're a young institution, so being built for men isn't exactly our issue, but even you know the Women in Walls initiative with Accenture, naming buildings, calling out women, um, but having broader initiatives in, in, in the broader sense of diversity as well. But from the gender perspective, I think it's, it's many subtle things and, and many real things. But ultimately, it's about the lived experience, and that's what culture is. And it's ensuring in so many ways we're conveying that welcome and, and acceptance. What do, you, what do you think? Would you agree with Brian McCraw there, Michelle? Absolutely. You know, I think that the the energy it takes for somebody to either change who they are or to try and conceal who they are uh, in work, it leads to so much discomfort and uncertainty. And at the very least, it's a distraction. So absolutely, it is important to enable a culture where people can be themselves at work so that they can thrive. And, uh, you know, this is, I love that expression about the lived experience because culture is created every day by acts big and small. So it does take continuous focus. Um, Margot Slattery, who's done an interview with us here on the podcast before, she's terrific. But she talked at your conference as well about the importance of the marriage equality vote and what it said and what the message it sent out. If you go back to 2015 and marriage equality and the kind of research that was done around that period of time for organisations, um, if that vote had gone the other way, then there's a whole cohort of people who wouldn't have felt comfortable to come and maybe bring their partner, bring their family it's not just an LGBT thing, it's for allies as well. Because what that says about the culture of this country is incredibly important. Does business need to stick fast and to focus on LGBT issues? Or is it assumed, well, now we've, we're all good here, we've had the referendum, we've shown how good and inclusive we are, so just let's move on. Or is there a job of work to be done with the lived experience, as Breen McCrae said? I think there's always work to do. You know, again, culture is, is sustained uh, every day by, by everyday acts and by um, what it feels like day to day in an organisation. You know, it's, it's amazing to think it's five years since the marriage equality vote. And, you know, I, I, I know many of us remember how that day felt, just the sheer joy in the country of, you know, standing up for love wins, that this is what, uh, that this is who we are today. Um, but, you know, I don't think we can ever take for granted that, um, that that progress is uh, one way. I think we, we do need to sustain that and we do need to state what we stand for and what matters. I think it's also about amplifying. I mean, and, you know, and standing up for each other where they're, you know, it's, it's someone who's not of the LGBT tradition standing up for somebody who is or men standing up for women. Like we have to amplify and stand up for each other. And sometimes that takes courage, doesn't it? It does. And it takes um, education. You know, we only have our own experience. So I think learning from others about their experience, whether through uh, stories in, in the workplace, I mean, 
you know, movies are another great way of um, of, of hearing stories and, and of, I suppose, experiencing a reality different from your own. The, the uh, Gays LGBT Film Festival has been amazing for uh, providing a platform for LGBT stories, for educating, really, and, and um, I suppose, developing empathy in the community as a whole. You said there are stories in the workplace. I'm interested in that whole concept. Do you think it's a good idea for companies to kind of construct events around that just for to give people, you know, the opportunity to talk about in, in a safe environment to talk about their lived experiences? I think so. I mean, I think we're, we're naturally very social anyway, and it tends to be, um, you know, we, we do share stories about what's going on in our lives. We do talk about what's what's happening. Um, I think what's easy to happen is that certain stories get suppressed or people aren't comfortable to tell them. And that's where maybe being more intentional about it and making sure that there there is a space for people to, to speak. Very important. Yeah. And what, what do you think about how COVID has really, because we've all been working from home and probably seeing quite literally through team meetings and Zoom calls and everything, we're actually seeing what other people have in their own domestic. We've got an insight into people's domestic environments and their book collections and their dogs and their kids. Has, has COVID, although it's been a horrible, horrible thing, has it given us some positive insights into other people's lives as well? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's been um, it's been very interesting. Actually, there's been a lot of conversations, as you said, about the bookcases and uh, the the backgrounds. Um, we we did actually have uh, we've the ability to upload photographs behind as well as uh, your actual room. So that's been fun too. What people choose, mm-hmm. um, but I think also you know it has the potential to I suppose amplify inequality. You know, not everybody has the same access to um, a, a workspace, to privacy, to work, to um, you know, technology. Um, so I do think that is something as a society we have to be very mindful of. One of the things I, I thought was really interesting from your conference as well is like we we tend to think that gender inequality really only affects people or all the inequalities only f- affect people at the lower end of the scale. But then we heard from Anne Anderson, who is the former ambassador, Irish ambassador to the United States, who was a woman at the top of her career. And yet she wasn't immune to, um, you know, anti-female remarks and being excluded. You know, it's, it's amazing to think that no matter who you are or what status you are in society, you can still be open to inequality and of being treated as less than. Um, let's have a quick listen to what she says. I want to give you three vignettes from the Washington years. As it happens, they all revolve around St. Patrick's Day celebrations, although in different years. I will start with one of the less happy experiences. It was the St. Patrick's Day of my first year and the Taoiseach was visiting for the usual whirlwind program. All went extremely well until I carried out an instruction of the Taoiseach that some of his entourage were unhappy with. The whole incident ended up with unattributed briefings to the Irish media that I was, quote, too big for my boots. References to my Prada shoes, and let me say here in parenthesis that on an Irish public service salary, I have never owned Prada shoes. (laughs) Um, And people opining to the media as to whether or not I was the ice queen of the department. But here's a much happier moment. During my time in DC, one of the things I tried to do was to address the vestiges of discrimination in some elements of Irish America. 
A breakthrough moment came in 2016 when, after 150 years of being an all-male organization, the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick in Philadelphia opened their doors to women and admitted me as their first female member. I was really so glad to have pushed for and been part of that change, and I made a celebratory speech in Philadelphia. A few weeks later, we were all gathered in the White House for St. Patrick's Day. President Obama addressed a packed East Room and made his typically eloquent speech. In the course of the speech, he picked up on the Philadelphia event and quoted my words there. As Ambassador Anderson said, there are no second-class citizens, no children of a lesser God. And just to be clear, that's me quoting President Obama, quoting me. <laughs> that was Anne Anderson there, the former Irish ambassador to the United States. So, you know, her, her perspective is really interesting because we think, you know, once you reach the top level of your, your career that you're, you're safe. What do you think Anne Anderson's experience says to us? You know, I remember on the day her talking about the um, the description of the Prada shoes and uh, being called too too big for her boots. Um, I, you know, it, it was shocking actually uh, to to hear her recount it. Um, I have to say, for me, I found that with the right shoes, you can go anywhere. I thought she also had a lovely way of telling the story. Um, although I, I, you know, in all honesty, I'm wearing slippers more than uh, shoes <laughs> these days. But I think it highlights that, you know, there just isn't any room for complacency at any level in an organization. She is in a position where she can tell those stories and, and use it to, to make a point um, and, and tell it so so wonderfully. Um, but in a lot of cases, those sort of remarks or comments can be um, can be can have a very deep impact on, on somebody. It's a constant battle, though, isn't it, to bring equality into society and into business uh, to level that playing field. Do you think it's getting any easier? I think in a lot of ways it is. I mean, we definitely have, um, you know, a, a, I think a lot of genuine goodwill from people to make change and, and to be inclusive. Um, you know, I think the the ability to share stories, support one another um, is amplified actually by new technology. Um, you know, even, even things like uh, the, the sites that will reconstruct a new story and, and fix headlines that maybe are biased or that expose bias, those, those are actually really good for provoking conversation more broadly in society. So I, I absolutely think that, um, that we are improving and that there is uh, an intent to improve. But I also think it takes effort from all of us. Yeah, I think the to come back to something you said earlier on about the people, you know, recruiting really good people, millennials and post millennials. Now, the digital natives, they are so savvy about who they and so choosy about who they want to work for that companies really have to step up and uh, show their true selves if they want to, you know, to recruit the best people, don't they? Absolutely. I think at any stage to get the best people, you you know, it is a it is a two way uh, arrangement and um you absolutely have to treat people with respect. Um, and that is fundamental. That's fundamentally one of our values. Mm. Now, people with, the co with COVID-19, because so many people are working from home, businesses had to do a big rethink, hasn't it? Um, you know, there were fears before about companies fearing that people, if they were at home in their slippers or in their uh, tracksuits, that they wouldn't do any work. They just make coffee. 
But I think the research is showing that people are actually more productive. So will the workplace ever be the same again, do you think? Yeah, I think it, I think it has changed. And you're right, you know, the research is showing that um, that, that people are um, potentially more productive from home, which, which makes sense, right? You're cutting commuting time, you're, you're potentially cutting distractions and so on. Um, I think employees are also looking to their leaders to see that, that employers are, are taking care of their people and are concerned for their people. You know, trust is, is two-way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we, we've, I hear from a lot of women about the extra burden of doing the third shift, as they say, the caring and the cleaning and partners who may or may not be good at being cooperative. Uh, is the next battlefront, maybe is it in the home area as well as in the office, sharing the caring? <laughs> Well, I, I do think unless we kind of consciously address the big picture that old inequalities can can be simply replicated in new ways. You know, I think parents of all genders are working. Uh, they're trying to balance work and, and personal lives. Um, and of course, it's not just caring for young children. You know, among workers over 50, women are five times more likely than men to leave work to care for others. Um, wow. I think the OECD found that 75% of all unpaid work is done by women. Um, and of course, when it comes to retirement, women often face a, a pensions gender gap as well. Uh, so we do need to be alert to um, to how things are changing and to be ready to move quickly. I think these are conversations we have to have in business, but we also have to have them at home with our, with our loved ones, indeed with our, our children, sons and daughters. Um, we've done a lot to change the, the world of work, um, but I do wonder, have we done enough to change the world at home and the world of parenting? You know, conscious efforts mm-hmm. for parents of all genders are are essential yeah um has it become more acceptable now do you think to talk about mental health because we know that COVID-19 has really strained people's mental health is there a duty on employers to to give some time and resources to this issue is it a good investment also for employers I I think there is a duty but I think it's also just the human thing to do you know there Mm. there are probably as many reactions and responses to this situation as there are people you know in some cases certain stresses have have reduced um and in other cases uh, other stresses have having increased and I think a solution has to listen openly to to what people are feeling and of course it changes over time and, and um, the, the challenges can change at, at different phases you know a lot of people are, are nervous as we start to reopen things as well what's that going to mm-hmm. mean you know I think the again looking back to the research we we have seen a disparity between leaders and employees so employees um employers often feel that employees will feel safe to raise a concern about their mental health but actually fewer employees actually share that view so I think it's 85% of leaders think employees would feel safe to raise a mental health concern but only 60% of employees share that view and so there does need to be a focus on mental health there does need to be a focus on listening and and genuinely listening without the answer in mind to to try and build solutions um, that that work and that support people where they are now and I think we all stand to benefit from that you know as as more people we, we again we talked about culture makers as you increase the, the culture maker impact in the organization the potential of all employees to find meaning to find the kind of social support that they need and indeed the well-being at work and um, just grows and, and helps them contribute uh, to the organization as well Michelle before we finish up I'm just going to ask you a few questions that I ask everybody on the women in leadership podcast and first are your five pearls of wisdom just from your own <laughs> career and you know, how things have gone for you over the years and the wisdom you've garnered over the years, what would your top five pearls of wisdom be to anybody who wants to, um, you know, go ahead in their career? Okay. Uh, well, number one is for me is definitely about staying curious and, and 
learning about new ideas. You know, I, I you know, I'm very active on, on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. and other social media, but I, I use that to read widely. I learn new ideas. I learn ideas that are different to my own. And that challenges me to to um, to think deeply about about things that matter. So I think that's always been and, and always will remain uh, important. Um, I think the other one, the next one I'd say would be playing to your strengths. So knowing what it is that you're good at and, and doing more of that. And um, you can't be good at everything. So finding others who can balance in the areas where you're not as focused or not as strong. Um, but really finding roles where you can play to your strengths, I think, is, is, a, is a really helpful um, way to approach things. For number three, I think I would say be good to yourself. Maybe I'm particularly conscious of it at the moment, but, um, you know, asking for help when you need it, not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to raise it when you need support. Um, and what goes along with that is being good to others, you know, recognizing when somebody in your team maybe is struggling or needs support. I think kindness goes a long way in, in business as, as well as in life. Uh, number four, I guess, trust your instincts. Again, I do think perhaps more than ever now, um, taking a long-term view on, on what is right and doing the right thing. Um, and then the last one I would say is uh, having and seeking to maintain a broad network. Again, being challenged by people who think differently from your own experience, who've had different experiences um, is, is key. Brilliant. What's your go-to song? Speaking to women on the podcast, I'm always amazed and sometimes surprised by their choice of music. Do you have a go-to song or a playlist that you, you play to yourself <laughs> when you need a boost or when you want to get energized and get out of bed or get out of the slippers into the high heels? <laughs> I have very eclectic music taste. I, I could show you my uh, <laughs> my, my podcast sometime. Um, I do love covers of old songs. So the BBC Live Lounge is great. Uh, I think you get both that comfort and the nostalgia of a, a much-loved song or memory maybe of where you were when you first heard it, but then mixed with the new interpretation perhaps by somebody different or somebody unexpected um, I think films and, and TV shows are, are great at that and, and make great use of it uh, if you saw Big Little Lies I loved uh, Zoe Kravitz singing Don't on, on Big Little Lies that was fantastic um, and of course sometimes the cover is even better than the original Aretha Franklin's Respect okay I rest my case love that song <laughs> never <laughs> dates does it yeah no, um, um, purse strings I was watching that fantastic documentary about Samantha Barry who's the editor-in-chief of Glamour magazine one of the things she's focused on in the magazine is uh, you know women managing their money and women do manage their money in a very different way my, my daughter would say like the guys don't have to spend the money on the stuff that we do like our hair and makeup and clothes <laughs> and stuff like that um, Financial advice is very important for women, I think. What was the best sort of money advice you've ever got or would you ever give to other women? I think you're right. It is It is very important. Uh, for me, it was definitely don't give up your financial independence or at least don't do it unthinkingly. Um, I do think that that is important to talk to women about in particular because it is so ingrained in the culture that women are provided for. Um, and that affects all sorts of things uh, and all sorts of decisions, both big and small. So I think, you know, it means different things at different stages of your life, whether it's from, you know, being independent, maybe moving out of home for the first time, getting a mortgage, um, investing, saving for your pension, whatever it might be. But, you know, getting the advice you need and, and maintaining that financial independence, I think, it certainly has been very important to me and is something I would speak to my daughter about and, and, and that matters. Um, you know, I think even 
decisions that you make where you might not intend to be giving up independence but you know as as people maybe choose to go part-time for a period of time or to um, ease back on work just thinking about the long-term impact of that and maybe deciding among if you're in a if you're in a partnership just deciding among you how you might balance the the financial impacts of that so that it um so that everybody maintains I suppose financial independence I think that's really important and, and very important, as you say, to see the long term picture as well. Really good advice um, on the environment. I think we're all tuned into the earth and the importance of climate change since the pandemic has struck. What do you do in your own little way to or in a big way to support climate change? Do you recycle? Do you have business decisions made, made around sustainability? What do you do? I do try to look at decisions through a sustainability filter um, and educate myself so that I understand the trade-offs. It's, it's seldom, you know, one action is definitely the right one. There's often uh, a trade-off. So trying to make a sustainable choice through, again, educating yourself on, on what the options are. Um, you know, on, on a very personal level, I pretty much walk everywhere. I've more or less stopped driving as, as much as I can. Um, and I do think that we have to more than ever be acutely conscious of change, changes all around us. And uh, sustainability is, is definitely a driver for, for decisions that I make. Dr. Michelle D. Cullen, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the Women in Leadership podcast. And thanks for sharing your insights from your research and from the International Women's Day event. Um, if people want to hear more about uh, what went on today, I mean, are they saved somewhere? Is there somewhere we can go to listen to the interviews in full? Thanks, Sanji. Uh, yes, if, if people would like to uh, read more about the equality research or indeed listen back to the IWD podcast series, uh, that is all on Accenture.com forward slash getting to equal, along with lots more um, research and, and other data points there. Michelle, thank you very much. Thank you, Sanji. That was Dr. Michelle D. Cullen of Accenture, my guest this week on the Women in Leadership podcast. Remember that advice from Michelle to stay curious and to play to your strengths and on your finances if you're going to take time out for caring for others and you're in a partnership, have that conversation about the long-term financial implications for your financial independence and how you can address that between you. If you'd like to comment on this podcast, please get in touch with us on info at womeninleadership.ie. That's the email. Or follow us on Twitter. Leading Women Pod is our handle. And we're also on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. We also have a newsletter with additional content and you can sign up for that on the website. And that's www.womeninleadership.ie. Have a look through the back catalogue while you're there. We'd love if you could please like and share anything to do with the podcast so that others can benefit from the wisdom of the women that we talk to on the podcast. Until the next time, from me and from the production team on the Women in Leadership podcast, goodbye and take good care of yourself. Mm-hmm.